back. This is episode eight of Jank Magic Podcast. I am your host, Kyle, and with me today again is Squiggly Bob. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic. Just another day in paradise, right? So I definitely want to start out by apologizing to my audience. We were supposed to have released an episode last Monday, um, but through uh, a move of Squiggly Bob and my own computer doing stupid things, uh, we just ended up not being able to get around to it. And by the time we both were ready, it was Wednesday, and we were like, eh, why don't we just wait until Monday? So that's right. You can't you can't start anything in the middle of the week. It has to be at the beginning of the week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially when every other one that we've ever done was like a, a Tuesday morning at the latest kind of thing. But regardless, right. So that kind of brings us into what we were supposed to have recorded and demonstrated to you guys. I know the last time we recorded, we were talking about different ways of making Oracle's vault work. Um, just other uh, just other potential options in just jank in general in Amonkhet. And I can't remember if we actually specifically said we were going to be testing Oracle's Vault, but I believe it was at least mentioned. Um, ultimately, we neither of us could really make a super consistent or competitive or fun version of Oracle's Vault dot deck that either of us really enjoyed. Um, mine largely consisted of just like a bant ramp to get up to enough early. I don't know. It, it was a very convoluted deck that had the new Nissas in it. It had, um, big fatty creatures. It had a sandworm convergence at one point. So it, it just didn't really work too well. And it was horribly inconsistent. Uh, what kind of results did you end up with? Uh, similar results, I think. I think the problem with the deck is that um, you're basically just doing what uh, other decks are already doing better. So um, we had talked a little bit previously about how, uh, before the podcast anyways, about how this deck is basically just a ramp deck, uh, which has become a little bit more popular now. Uh, so instead of trying to cheat the stuff in with Oracle's Vault, you can just ramp into it. Uh, because a lot of the the cards that are in this deck are also similar in that other deck, uh, or the uh, the uh, the ramp decks that have been going around, and so the ramp deck does what we're trying to do better, um, and then the Etherworks Marvel decks do it and do what we're doing, uh, but it, <laughs> but way way better and way more consistent, and so uh, I think one of the differences between the two of our decks was that I used Champion of Ronus. Uh, which is not a very good card, but it was a solution to uh, if we end up drawing one of the big fatties in our, our opening hand, or if we draw it throughout the game and, and can't cast it, you can always cheat it in with Champion Aronis. But uh, I think I got a turn turn four Ulamog once off of the champion, and then I was somewhat consistently getting turn seven or eight Ulamogs out with the Oracle's Vault, but by that point, you might as well just ramp into it and cast it, like hard cast it. So, yeah, like I remember doing some really dumb things, like using a cascading cataract, the land that taps. You tap six lands and you get five of any color in any combination. And I used right. that to pay <laughs> the casting cost of a 
prophetic or what is that one the the prism or uh, not the prism array uh, prism array yeah mm-hmm. prism array so i could get, make it enter the battlefield with five counters kind of like a pseudo fog to tap their creatures before attacking and it also acted as a scry three for six basically right so, and that was okay because then i could kind of sort of control the top of the deck like scry three put a land on top and then activate the oracles vault for two or whatever and then play the land i don't know it was to say the least it wasn't nearly as fun as i wanted it to be and ultimately didn't play after the first probably two or uh, probably two to three days of uh, solid testing i was like man this deck just isn't a lot of fun it's not consistent so that that was basically kind of it we we didn't put a whole lot more thought after that i think like uh i mean there are some some cool stuff that you could do with at least in in my my version of the deck uh casting a pour over the pages uh with the oracle's vault was pretty good uh because you could draw the three and then untap two lands uh whenever you cast the card free uh, and then also, anytime you got Paradox Engine going with Oracle's Vault, oh, it was yeah. really, really cool. Uh, so for those brief fleeting moments that the deck kind of did what it was supposed to do, it was interesting. But other than that, you, it was just miserable to play. <laughs> it was that, like you said, it just was not very fun at all to play because you throw down your cards and then you'd be run over before you get anything going. Like the engine just takes too long to get going, I think is the problem. Yeah. And I remember at one point being run over by a, a very early version of the Mono Black Zombies deck that ultimately took the Pro Tour. And I was just thinking, oh man, I wish, I wish, I totally wish Zombies were an actual thing. And then. <laughs> there they are. And then Pro Tour. But so, move. So that's kind of an interesting segue though, because like the, there was another deck um, that I've actually been playing the past uh, several days. Um, at uh, FNM, a game day, and a little bit online, um, the new perspectives combo. Um, talk about a, a that deck is just so much fun to play. Um, yeah, it was. I've seen the deck played. I haven't. I haven't actually got to play it yet. Uh, but from what I've seen, the deck just seems like it's a blast to go through. And once you get down new perspectives, and that engine starts going. It just goes off the rails. Yeah. And like, so it's obviously a combo deck. Every combo deck needs to be piloted correctly. You have to make sure you don't miss a trigger. You have to make sure, like I was making some really dumb mistakes the first time I played it. Like in paper, uh, right? Like on paper, yeah. Like yeah. obviously, when you play it online, you can't miss triggers. It reminds you and it forces you to make that decision. But in paper, it's very easy to forget all of a sudden. Oh, hey, uh, I was supposed to draw after searching for a basic land too, or it's just the sum of like choosing which mana to float off of a weirding wood activation or something. It's so there's so many choices and so many intricacies to the deck um i think that the the consistency to it though like just how it was able to actually like once you got that new perspectives deck down once you got the new perspectives down you could not lose 
If it resolved, right. I did not lose. That that's how it worked. Because not only okay, so let's say you fizzle. Let's say you don't make it to the second casting of Approach of the Second Sun. Or let's say you don't get to enough mana to cast whatever it is you're trying to cast to make a massive board presence. That's fine, because you have your deck in hand and you can choose the best cards to keep. Like a fog, or a kill spell, or whatever it is you need at the time to make sure you stay alive to your next turn. Right. I think it's... An interesting note that you point out is talking about like the difficulty in piloting this kind of deck. And I think like for people who are new to Magic and want to get better, I think this deck is a good opportunity for them to do that um, because it will force you to think about the things as you're doing them step by step. Because if you don't, then you get punished greatly, right? <laughs> and okay, so yeah. with with that threat of being punished greatly, you're going to think more carefully about it, and you're going to sort of feel how the deck works. And it's not a terribly complicated um, deck to, to pilot. I mean, it's difficult, but it's not like a Gifts Ungiven uh, deck or something like that. But it's it's in that it's in that weird range that you rarely see in any sort of skill building, where usually if you're trying to learn a new skill, the beginning projects are super easy. And then you hit a huge learning curve and the, there's really difficult projects that, that come up next. And there's not a whole lot in the middle. Uh, and I think the same thing goes with Magic, right? There's there's really easy decks to play and then there's a very difficult decks to play. But this deck seems to hit that middle ground of you have to know how to pilot it well, but it's not incredibly difficult like some of the other decks, like a Doomsday deck, for example, or something like that. And so I think as a new Magic player, if you're looking at, at getting into a, a standard deck and you want to get better at the game and you want to be forced to think about things, I think this deck is a, a very good opportunity for you to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just the sheer number of times that I was kicking myself, being like, oh, man, I should have done it that way. Like Just, just, a, a, just one of the lines of mistakes that I made um, the first game i played it um i was up against it was like it was the testing before kind of a pre-fnm kind of thing um just playing around with some some buddies i was playing against some random deck i don't remember the specific deck but i remember cycling uh let's say a Sheffit monitor which and in, 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 it triggers the ability to you. It says you may go search for a basic and put it onto the battlefield. Only problem is, I the first probably like three or four times I, I cycled a Sheffit monitor, I forgot the draw, like from the cycle. <laughs> so you, you, would, you would go get your land, put it into play, and then move on without getting your card. Right, and that caused me to no longer have... Um, so I, I'd continue and then I'd go past and then I'd do something else and realize that because of the missed cycle draw, I no longer had enough cards in hand for new perspectives to be active. So it would slow down. It would, it would basically grind your engine to a halt. Exactly. Or even something as simple as you cycle a vizier and you go to untap the weirding wooded land but it hasn't been tapped to float mana yet. And so, like, it's interesting because I suppose you can target an untapped land. And then, mm -hmm. like, so I suppose the actual 
uh, timing and triggers and stack can be manipulated in a, manipulated in a way to make this work. But realistically, you should float that in just to be just for the sake of clarity. Right. You should really float that mana before you go to cycle the Vizier of Tumbling Sands. Right. Yeah. I mean, you need to in order to uh, be able to use it again. Right. I mean, that's the whole idea. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then, I think real quick though, before we get too deep into this, uh, did we talk about what new perspectives actually does for the no, listeners who are? That's actually okay. a really really good concept. <laughs> So uh, what New Perspective does is it's a uh, one blue and five colorless uh, enchantment. And whenever it enters the battlefield, you get to draw three cards. And as long as you have seven or more cards in hand, you may pay zero rather than the than paying the cycling cost. So the idea behind the deck is to have a whole bunch of cards uh, that cycle things. And then you plop down New Perspective and you can basically go through your whole entire deck uh, and... Uh, play Shadow of the Grave towards the end of the the, the drawings, uh, and Shadow of the Grave returns to your hand all cards with your in your graveyard that you cycled or discarded this turn. So essentially you can get all the lands out of your deck that are uh, with Chef at Monitor, um, any basic land that is. Uh, you can untap and tap lands with Vizier to create a ton of mana. And then you, uh, you try to cast Approach of the Second Sun, and then draw six cards, or the seventh card being approached to the second sun, and cast it again using all the mana you built up and and drawing all the cards with the cycle. And so it's a that's one of the ways that you win. There's a alternative ways that you can win uh, with life gain and life loss, but the the main way is through the approach to the second sun. Did I explain that correctly? Basically, yeah, that was the gist of it. Right. <laughs> uh, the some. Like some people are on the shelf of whether they should be casting Viziers of the Tumbling Sand for a body and a way to untap the land. Mm-hmm. However, I ultimately think that's wrong. And here's why. Why? If it's on the battlefield, you can't Shadows of the Grave it back to your hand after cycling it. Right. So when you've cycled a Vizier of the Second, uh, a Vizier of Tumbling Sand, after your cycling ramp, you get to bring it all back to hand using only two of that mana that you use to float, you know. But mm-hmm. that leads me to another problem, too, because during the process, you're thinking of what all colors you need to float in order to make, for, for, for starters, the combo work. Right. So the first I usually do is to white to make sure I have mana for second sun. Mm-hmm. And then the second color I usually do is black, just in case I need to cast the 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 shadow of the grave too early. Right, because there's not that many black sources in the deck. There's a uh, four canyon slows, uh, four fetid pools, and then one basic swamp. swamp. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Basic and so in a lot entirely just to fetch for the by the chef at monitors. Right, and a lot of the cycle lands will end up being cycled instead of played. So yeah, the chances exactly. of having a swamp is actually pretty low. So it, it is definitely important to remember to get that uh, black mana uh, yeah. whenever you're doing your weirding woods. Exactly, exactly. So the it the how do how do you go into something like this without over exaggerating? So it's the type of combo that when you clearly define the lines in your mind and follow those lines, it's almost uninteractable 
unless they've got just hard counters. They can't do any of the funny unless they pay one or unless they pay three because you'll always have the extra mana. You'll always have the ability to cast the extra or in response just start cycling and do stuff and then save it. Like I could always cycle to a sensor and then cast the sensor or... (laughs) There's so... Also, uh, approach is just you have to cast it. It doesn't have to resolve. Precisely. So, so you, if they count on that, then you can find your other one by digging through your your whole entire library, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that, that's the primary reason that there's two. Just in, right. <laughs> in, in the in the in the in the awkward case that somebody counters it, um, it would be rather silly for them to counter the first one, obviously, because. Mm-hmm. It, the cast trigger happened so realistically they should be casting the second uh, you know countering the second one so i mean that's the one that matters and that's I the think... one that would prevent you from being able to win if it was the only approach in the deck i think you still win if you cast it the second time it doesn't have to resolve right uh it, i mean the the effect doesn't happen if it doesn't resolve huh okay the second time, it, it, the wording on it is it said, if you cast this f- from your hand and it's the second uh, spell named Approach of the Second Sun, cast this game, you win the game. So that has to resolve. Actually, it's a good, that's an interesting point because it is a cast trigger. That's something, yeah, we should definitely look up the ruling on that, but. Huh. I suppose that would be something they'd have to counter the first time. Right. I mean, the the hope would be that you counter it and then lost legacy, it. <laughs> um, or just counter it and, and hope hope they don't draw the second one. I think, I think you have to counter the first one. Uh, they'll gain the seven life and they'll get the trigger, but it won't go back into the library. So you buy yourself some some turns, hopefully. Uh, but yeah. Interesting. I'll have to look into the ruling on that. I'm the, the the. I wonder if you if you if you counter the second casting of it, if if it'll still trigger a win. Certainly interesting. But I mean, for seven, <laughs> it would be it'd be at least silly if it were that easy to stop by just a counter. So. Okay. So I think uh, the ruling is as your second approach to the second sun resolves. It checks only whether the first one was cast, not whether the first one resolved. If your first approach to the second sun was countered, you still win the game as your second one resolves. So it no, does have to resolve the it second does. one. Okay, so yeah, it definitely has. To. So I suppose if it's countered, the, 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 the trigger will never check for a previously cast approach. Right, right. Makes sense. It yeah, so count the second one, viewers. Count the second one. <laughs> yeah, like the first one's going to happen. And unless you're going to lose, or unless you're not going to win the next turn with the seven life, you really shouldn't gain it. You really shouldn't counter it. Um, gosh, moving on to like just the entire... I, I, like, I feel like there's so much to talk about with this deck, but then at the same time it's all kind of the same idea you know we're trying to get to a decent chunk of mana survive i I gotta say some of the games were so ridiculously close um the ability for this deck to stabilize is beyond 
my wildest dreams of a jank survive until it matters deck. Like, there was at one point I was going against a lesser mono black zombies deck, not the deck, but a very similar one. And at one uh-huh. point, he at one point he had me down to eight life, or I'm sorry, one life, a single life, and I did. I was at four mana, <laughs> so I happened to be able to cycle into a fog, which I was able to use, and a weirding wood on that fourth <laughs> turn. Yeah. So, oh man, how is this? clearly that's not enough mana. So turn five, I think I cast a weirding wood. I don't remember the specifics. It was very. It was one of those moments where you can't believe this is happening, and all of a sudden your hands are shaking because you can't believe it's actually working, and you're nervous about the gameplay. <laughs> it was all sorts of stuff. But I was able to stabilize and get back up to eight, and then fog twice and win. It was <laughs> just the resilience of this deck is. It just blows my mind every time I get really low and nervous and then I get my sixth mana and the new perspectives comes down and I'm safe again. And it's just the craziest thing. Not only that, but Approach of the Second Sun, the the effect of gaining seven life is is not uh is not minimal. I mean, like that's a big effect. Like you get well, like you said, with this deck, especially with the speed at which uh, standard is now with zombies and uh uh, vehicles and exert and all that stuff uh you get down pretty pretty fast in life and so the ability to gain seven life is actually like really really good uh and i think that it also helps this deck uh stabilize a little bit more but yeah once it starts going off like you can't really do much about it yeah i mean it, it's it's very strange feeling like yeah go ahead attack yeah that's okay i'm, I'm still not dead yet yeah okay turn six cool let's play like that's basically how it goes through in your head like they they play a turn one haster and you're like oh that's cute and then they pump it turn two to a four four and i'm like oh that's still cute because you know in the back of your head you've got this target and until it becomes out of reach like i tell you the time you feel the worst it with this deck is missing a land drop Missing a land drop sucks so much because you know you're that far behind. Missing a land drop in this deck just feels so much worse than some other decks I've played. Missing a land drop in some of the other decks is like, uh, you know, that's okay. I'll still be able to cast my, my turn four just a turn late, and it'll still have a decent impact on the board kind of thing. Right. But with this deck, if you're not... Like, even casting a, a turn six approach of the second sun is scary. I'm not, not not approach, but a, a turn six uh, uh, new perspectives. Even though it's a six cost, if you weren't able to get a weirding wood out to get it down on turn five, you're feeling a little bit worried, just a right. little bit. Yeah, and I mean, with this deck, you, I would say, if you're worried about missing land drops, you probably shouldn't be. I mean, I know it happens, right? But this deck has playing twenty four lands. And then a million cycling cards, along with the Shafet monitors, which go and get get lands oh, uh, out man. of your deck. That's, so. that's, that's the best. Um, just being able to... I think the best I had was turn three Weirding Word, turn three Weirding Word, Wood, turn four Weirding Wood, 
and then I chefeted monitor at their end step to get to I think eight lands on turn six. Oh jeez. <laughs> it was it was nice. But that was actually a uh that was actually game two where I had cycled out I had actually sideboarded out the uh the the actual main combo because I mean in certain shells or in certain matchups once they know what you're doing they plan to eliminate your ability to do so right so the only thing that makes sense like for instance in a control mirror or um, anything that's not a control mirror but any any uh, going against control or any sort of color that has enchantment hate or so like going against green white and blue basically. <laughs> If I'm going against those colors, I will side out the combo game two and move towards a more aggressive or just a more mid-rangey type deck with a little bit of fog left over. Um, so I was able to drop that uh, Sandworm Convergence I had in my hand on turn uh, six. And uh, needless to say, that game ended pretty quick. <laughs> I bet. So, uh, one of the things that we did talk about with your version of the deck is that on occasion you do run out of some gas. Yeah, um, there was in the current build, um, I had toyed around with cut to ribbons in lieu of, I can't remember what it was that I, 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 I threw it in for, but I figured it would be a decent um, alternative way to use the mana I build up during the cycling. Like if for whatever reason they were able to... I don't know, for whatever reason, if I had the, the need to, I could cast Ribbons from the Graveyard for a decent chunk of change. Um, uh, but but almost every time I drew it, it was a dead card for the most part, because either their, their creatures were too large, or I, they had no targets. So I ended up just discarding it down, well, you know, down to hand size when I had to pass the turn with half my deck in my hand. Right. So I think as just as I think the more important thing in this particular instance would be to just continue to have cycling cards and um, what was high? Oh, hieroglyphic uh, hieroglyph. And I still can't spell that card to save my life. Hieroglyphic illumination. Uh, yeah, hieroglyphic Im illumination, the hardest word to spell in the. <laughs> <laughs> but that's beside the point. Um, hieroglyph hieroglyphic, and, and in hindsight, it should have been mainboard from the get go. It's it's an obvious mainboard choice, especially because not only does it cycle for you, but it also allows you to get ahead in the off chance that you don't have enough cards in hand. Right, because um, has the option to draw two cards. Right, so like during those play mistakes that I was talking about, if I had a hieroglyphic in hand, I would have been able to cast it to get back up to seven and continue going. But because of the sheer lack of a way to get back up to seven, which, mind you, the Weirding Woods uh, <sighs> clue token saved mm -hmm. me more times than I could count. And just having that clue to, to pop after I accidentally dropped to six cards for whatever reason, or if I had to actually cast a fog instead of cycling it, then I'd pop the clue and maintain my force. So that was... Yeah, I mean, the, the clue uh, generation on that card is 
part of the reason it's like that's probably the most most of the reason why it's uh chosen because there's a similar card in Amonkhet, i believe that does uh that you gain three life whenever it comes into play but that yes. ability to draw cards uh is what this deck actually wants right uh life gain does not matter and actually my first uh iteration of this deck before i really did any any research used that card mm-hmm. um I can't remember the name of it, but it was like Gifts of something. I don't remember the specific name, but that name. The name is really irrelevant at this point because Weirding Wood is just the better choice for what we're trying to do in the deck. Um, it's kind of crazy that it's just that single card draw advantage, just having it as an option. You know you're going to have at least the one... Um, to be honest, I probably missed a couple triggers after I had cast a second Weirding Wood. <laughs> Just like I, because the the one clue was enough most of the time to save me, so I didn't even think about the second clue that triggered off of the second Weirding Wood coming into play. I, I can't remember a specific time having done that, but I can imagine I did it at least once, considering even cycle triggers I missed at one point or another. Right, but that just goes right back into the whole point of not necessarily the hard the like it's not a difficult deck to pilot. It's just an extremely involved deck. There's a lot going on, and there's a ton of different angles you have to maintain it you know it it kind of reminds me of ad nauseum from modern, mm-hmm. just the ability to go through your deck casually do whatever you want with it, and then go off it's, it's there, just there are a lot of triggers to keep in mind with this deck and oh, so i think that's where the difficulty comes in not necessarily piloting it as far as like what line to take but i think just keeping track of all the triggers and what mana you need and what the the goal is after sideboard and all of that stuff so yeah oh, i could see yeah a hundred percent um God, sideboarding, my God. I probably made the most amount of mistakes choosing what to sideboard. Um, (laughs) My sideboard right now isn't exactly optimized. It's definitely going to have some changes. Um, I think after my experiences at Game Day and FNM, I really want to just go full-blown control shell once game two starts against anything other than like white weenies or you know the creature heavy decks were fine they didn't really have a way to interact with enchantments so game two almost always was able to be just new perspectives still in a creature heavy deck right but it seems like you you may want like negates in the sideboard and then magma sprays even because Magma Spray takes care of a lot of the uh, the recursion zombies that are in the format now. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely a, a truth. But I, I, it's, it's one of those things where I have to make a solid decision of what direction I want to take it. Do I, like, I either go all in an alternate shell and just take all the combo pieces out. We're talking the Shadows of the Grave, um... The, the new perspectives, and if I don't feel I'll need them, even the viziers. Mm-hmm. But maybe not all of the viziers. I usually keep one or two just because they're pretty good chump blockers. 
Right. Um, and it's a decent card. It's a mana ramper, if it, anything yeah, else. You know? it, worst case, it can help me get to seven on turn six or five mm-hmm. on turn four. But um, Especially when used in conjunction with the Weirding Wood. It, I mean, that's the whole point of that card being in the deck is because it synergizes so well with Weirding Wood. Right. Um, but without ever being able to even see most of a player's deck just because well i got to turn six and went off like sometimes you can tell the direction they were going like if if they're playing a turn one thraben inspector and a a turn two scrap heap scrounger you can probably guess which direction they're going but if if they're sitting there casting a uh, a tune with the ether okay that could go a couple different directions and then like the one weird deck i played against was like this blue red Pia's revolution deck kind of similar to what i had done i think on episode <laughs> one honestly the original the original episode deck. yeah the original episode the Pia's revolution um but he was playing a, a, a very similar build to what I was doing, except oh my god, that's the that's the deck that's the game I lost to a uh, flung ten eleven consulate dreadnought. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, that was uh, I, I <laughs> that was a whole nother sense of hilarity by itself. I, I I when he did that, I literally said, "Oh my god, you did the thing." That's what I said to him. And he's like, yeah, I've been wanting to do that forever. I was like, well, there you go. Let's go to game two. <laughs> oh. uh, that was that was a fun game. But, well, have, you, have you had any luck with uh, a Limited in this format yet? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, actually, actually, I had a rather interesting uh, Limited experience just the other day. Um I ended up uh, drafting a mono blue uh, Drakehaven cycling deck. <laughs> nice. I think um, that's like maybe my favorite deck in limited if you can pull it off. It's right. difficult to pull off. Like seriously, blue was wide open. I had my choice of all the best blue cards. I had probably two or three hieroglyphic illuminations. I had the shimmer sh- what is it the shimmering drake I think it is the uh, one with shimmer the, scale drake shimmer scale drake. I had at least two of those. I got oh, pack one pick one was the drake haven. I'm like, "Yes, it's happening." <laughs> and then I uh pulled just some just some value stuff in the sense of like sensor I had, uh, oh god, if I had MTGO installed right now, I'd look up, I'd look up the deck list, but I don't, but it's one of those, it, it was a very happen circumstance kind of, well, I guess this is happening, and I did end up, I ended up going 2-1 with that deck, it was a very, very fun deck to play, um, Drake even seems broken and, and limited, uh, it really is, especially if you can enable it. Getting it is one, right. is half the battle. Enabling it is the rest. Like, I was worried that I wouldn't get enough cycling, but then by pack like halfway through pack two, I was like, if if this is my deck, I'll be happy. That was at the point where I was at, and I still was getting just value and Hecma Sentinels and anything with a bunch of cycling is supreme. Uh, 
it's a it's a one one for like a one one or a two two for three or something like that. But then every time yeah, two, you cycle two, two, a guard, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Right. And yeah, that that deck that that deck was just a lot of fun. It was one of those decks that made you go, "Wow, this is why I draft." So um, definitely a really fun time for that. Um, <laughs> did you have? Yeah, any- I had a similar deck to that. I played. I was playing a competitive league the other day, and uh, I ended up getting past a Drake Haven, like second pack, and what? just was like, "All right, I'm all in." <laughs> and so I ended up. Uh, I ended up getting every like cycling card I could find, and blue was pretty open. But then pack three, I opened a foil Drake Haven, so I had oh. two Drake Havens in the uh, limited deck, yes. and I ended up going two uh, one with that deck, I believe, in the uh, competitive league. But like yeah, once it gets going, it's pretty good. But uh, as far as like the best draft deck that I've come across so far, I think is uh, blue red. Uh, if you can get the Enigma uh, Drakes uh, early and oh, yeah. build around those, the uh, they're one blue, one red, one colorless, and they're a star four uh, flyers, and uh, they have power equal to the number of instants and sorcery cards in your graveyard. And so if you can if you can get a lot of cycling cards. And then a lot of like removal in red. You can build some pretty good decks. I've I've run that similar deck uh, a couple of times, and I three owed with the first one, and then two one with the next one. The next one wasn't as good as the first one. The first one had two Enigma Drakes, and just basically every every spell ever made in Amonkhet. So, but <laughs> uh, cyclers really uh, help. The cyclers help out a ton because you just start dumping them into your graveyard and just replacing the card. So I mean, I was I was playing the uh, the blue card. It's two mana, uh, one blue to cycle. And uh, I think if you cast it, I've never actually cast the card. But if you cast it, then they everyone puts the top five cards, or your opponent puts uh, yeah, the, top, the top, top five cards. Yeah, it's just them. I don't remember the name of that card, but the target opponent puts top five cards of his li- or target player uh, puts the top five cards of his library into his graveyard. Yeah, I've never actually cast it. I've always just yeah, one, one blue cycle it, get it out of the, yeah, in the graveyard exactly. for the enigma. So two blue make a Drake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think in the other in the first deck that I three would with, it was like two enigma drakes and two cryptic serpents. So the ones oh, the cryptic serpents cryptic like serpent six helps. five, and I think it's eight mana. It's either seven or eight, and for every sorcery instant in your graveyard, it it gets its uh, reduced cost by one colorless. So. It was a, it was a pretty decent deck. The draft format, all over. I don't know if I'm a huge fan of. I don't know if I was spoiled with the, uh, with the shadows over Innistrad, uh, block, but this 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 limited has seemed a little, uh, underpowered. I guess you could say. I will say I do love cycling. Uh, that, that ability to cycle is 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 really really good. But other than that, I feel like the set overall is just kind of like, eh. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I can't really speak too much of what Shadows was because I only did one draft and that Ooh, was the day after <laughs> pre-release. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also part of the time where I was really salty about the power levels of standard decks and the inaccessibility of them due to price restraints. <laughs> so right. I, I wasn't largely into standard at the time, just playing a bunch of EDH and messing around with modern deck ideas on free to play online stuff. 
mm-hmm. but that was a point in time. So I, I drafted a lot of Theros. That was probably the heaviest I was ever in, in, in drafting was in the Theros block. So that was an interesting time to be involved in it. And then ever since I was relatively consistent, I have to say Modern Masters 3 was my favorite. That was a good set. Uh, I mean, any of the Modern Masters are usually pretty decent. Two was okay, but uh, but three was, was pretty great. Yeah, that, that, that was... <laughs> it was such an amazing... Just Modern Masters three. We touched about it a lot on previous podcasts, so I won't go. Yeah, deep we've into talked it, about it a lot. It was it was kind of an eye opener just to see how fantastic draft could be, mm-hmm. and I think that's the set that really spoiled me to make current draft formats not necessarily dull, but certainly not as exciting as they were. I thought right. Kaladesh drafting was decent, and then yeah. we started drafting MM three. Yeah, so I think like Oath Oath Gatewatch was was pretty decent. Uh, I thought Triple Anastrad was great. Um, whenever whenever they added in the uh, oh Eldritch Moon, I thought that the Anastrad draft lost a little bit. Uh, I think Triple Anastrad is probably way better than than uh, Eldritch Moon and Anastrad together. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I thought Kaladesh was really good, but I was a fan of that set all all around. And then just, just this new one, I think, just doesn't quite live up to the past few sets. And maybe it's just me being salty, but uh, it's still fun. I mean, I'm still going to go play Limited all the time. But uh, <laughs> yeah, likewise, I, I, I do hope that the next uh, companion set to the block is it makes it a little bit better. Yep, I'm 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 certainly hoping so. Uh, hours of hours of hour of devastation is looking promising. I'm curious to see how much different the theming is going to be in Hours of Devastation. It's it's a set that really seems like it could have like a yin and yang type relationship between the two sets, drastically right. different, but like making one unique interface between the entirety of the block. But I suppose we'll see when the time comes. It's coming up. It's not too much farther out. What is it, like June that it comes out? No, July 14th. Oh, okay. July 4th, really? A little bit longer. No, 14th. Oh, 14th. <laughs> one four, yeah. One four, gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it, we're definitely uh, looking forward to that. And uh, maybe episode 17-ish, we'll be talking about drafting Hours of Devastation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe not that many, but probably more like 11 or 12. But we'll see. We'll get there. Um, at any rate, that drafting has obviously been a lot of fun. And the most recent, uh, basically post-cat ban standard has been so exhilarating. It's fine. It's great. I, I love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> so It definitely much. helped out a lot. And it's crazy. You, I mean... We knew that it would be a different format, but just to see just how oppressive that combo really was is just mind-blowing. All the stuff that's just floated to the surface since then has been fantastic to watch. Like, Mono Black Zombies took a pro tour. How long has it been since (laughs) that happened? 
has it ever happened before? I don't know. I honestly, I <laughs> that's the kind of information I just don't know. But mono black zombies, how that's just awesome. I mean, sure, it might not have done as good this most recent weekend of tournaments, but that's neither here nor there. It took a pro tour. It it had its spot of fame, and now people see it as a deck to worry about. So that's just a. Uh, we we couldn't have said that if Cat was around. If the, if right. if, if Sahili was making unlimited cats, then mono black zombies never would have been a thing. Right, and I think. Uh... I think another side effect that maybe doesn't get mentioned, at least I haven't really heard of it being mentioned, is that like with Sahili Cat Combo, the format was I don't want to say solved, right? I, I don't really like that phrase, but the 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 best deck had kind of risen to the surface, and that's just what everyone was playing. Nobody was trying to do anything else, I don't think. And whenever you ban that, you force everyone to start digging for new decks that are just as good. And I think whenever you whenever you do that, you drive innovation a little bit. Uh, I don't think you should ban everything, obviously, but I think whenever you take away the best uh, option, or I guess the most convenient option, that's still yeah. really really good. And that's really uh, what it you, was. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I think you force that innovation and allow for other things to sort of rise to the top instead of just having the one thing there all the time. And I think that's what we're seeing now with people messing around with uh, you know zombies, new perspectives, all the exert stuff. Hard uh, even Drake Haven decks are pretty good. Hard cat, <laughs> yeah, ramping into Ulamog, and uh, you know, I, I think that's good. I think that's good. I think that's a good thing for for the game. So I'm excited to see that. Absolutely, absolutely. So definitely some really exciting things going on. Um, I know that personally, I will definitely be continuing to hone my skills with um, new perspectives. I'll obviously be toying with other decks as time goes by, um, but I know that uh, New Perspectives is a deck that's going to be sleeved up for me for a while, and that's exciting for me. But that aside, any other last-minute tips, tricks, or secrets? Um, I don't think so. I think in a nutshell, New Perspectives is sweet, New Draft Format is okay, and... We look forward to what standards going to be be doing the next couple of weeks. Oh yeah, that is a definite. So with that, I once again would love to thank all of our viewers. Um, it was really cool to see a couple episodes ago um, a nice little spike in the interest, uh, probably in the topic. But hey, they listened, and that's uh, something I can. That's <laughs> more than more than what I can ask for. Um, also, again, let me know what you guys think of the podcast. I want to know your feedback. I want to know what we're doing right, what we can change. I want to know your ideas. I want to know everything you think about what what we're doing as a team and what we're doing individually, etc. You can find us, as always, at jankmagic.com, jankymagic at, on Twitter, uh, jankymagic on Twitch. I did make a Twitch, and I will be streaming drafts and uh, general gameplay over the next few over the next couple weeks while we prepare for the next episode and finally jank magic podcast on itunes and android Uh, thanks again for listening and i look forward to seeing you all here next time